The following program is furnished by Startup Nation Media Group. All right, welcome to this edition of Startup Nation Radio. We're going to feature a couple of amazing entrepreneurs who have got it in their DNA, to say the least, to want to own their own company, to be successful, and to actually start a variety of, you know, do a variety of things. And we've got Norm Pappas co-hosting with us again. Norm, welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you. Good to have you on, bringing that voice of wisdom, Norm. We love your contribution to the show and and look forward to the show ahead. Now, part of your contribution, speaking of contributions to the show, is is you've been organizing some really amazing guests for us who've been telling their entrepreneurial stories here in the Detroit, Southeast Michigan region over the last few months. And we've got another great one ahead. Norm, tee it up for us. Give us us an idea of who we've got on the show today. So our first guest will be Bruce Leibowitz, and he has always wanted to be an entrepreneur and he has bought and sold companies, and he'll have a good journey to discuss. And Marcy Terran just ended up buying a business from her father, and they both have successful businesses and nice things to uh, learn from. You know, a couple of things jump out at me, Norm, in the, the various entrepreneurs you've brought to the show. One is just that indelible, you know, I mentioned that the the entrepreneurs on the show today have it in their DNA to want to be entrepreneurs and that indelible spirit to want to do this, that drive. I mean, I've got that, you've got that. And certainly the guests we've had on really have that as well uh, that you brought into the show recently. And that's been, that stands out to me. Many of them have not just done one business, but several businesses. And so this drive to be an entrepreneur, you say the first guest, Bruce wanted to be an entrepreneur. It's an amazing and powerful and fundamental kind of thing. The people that have got it, they really, really have it. And and the second thing that jumps out at me is the, the diversity of businesses that we've covered. You know, it's really interesting. Businesses you don't even know exist. And our first guest today is Bruce Leibovitz. He's got a business that, in the business of creating and marketing bollards. To your point, some people like Bruce wanted to do it. Other people don't know they want to do it. They may be working somewhere and be miserable. They have a bad boss. They don't like their work. And then they end up going to be an entrepreneur. Uh, But Bruce is interesting because he had it right from the beginning. And being in the business of producing and selling bollards. Now, did you, I have to ask you, Norm, did you know what a bollard was before we were about to do this interview? I did because I know Bruce. Or before you knew Bruce's story. Right. You know, Bruce. Right. But, But anyway, I didn't. And, you know, it's just fascinating to me, the various ways to be in business and to make money and. Uh, to be a successful entrepreneur. So, Bruce Leibowitz, w- welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. And, and just for the record, Jeff, uh, a week before I got into this business, I did not know what a bollard was. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. That's hilarious. I mean, that's amazing. Tell us, what is a bollard, Bruce? A bollard is a, uh, it's a marine term, actually, the history of the term. And in, in marine use, when a boat pulls up to a dock, it's the thing they put the rope around. Interesting. Now, I have to tell you, I'm a boater, okay. and I didn't even know the term from boating. So there you go. Shame I mean, on you, Jeff. The go shame back on me and is take right. Your boating class. Right. You're, you're right. I got to go back to the piloting course. So, but but in more common life, in our daily life, the bollards are the poles that are typically painted yellow that protect gas meters, drive up windows, ATM machines overhead doors at buildings. They also have been used more and more to protect buildings from cars just driving into the building. So every day in the United States, someone is killed by a car driving Mm. into a building. So the bollards are, people think they're concrete because they see the concrete on them, Mm -hmm. but they are steel pipe 
placed in the ground, surrounded with concrete and filled with concrete. And then they're usually painted yellow and they're designed to stop cars from accidentally driving into people, buildings or other hazards. Okay. So we've all seen them and now we all know what a bollard is. We've all, as I say, seen those and we're aware of them, but there we go. Learn something new every day. Now, suffice to say, I think I can be confident in saying you didn't grow up wanting to be in the bollard business. I want to go back (laughs) to your roots. You know, that's what you're doing now. But you certainly didn't start there. Um, You've been a serial entrepreneur. You've had a series of businesses. Where did the entrepreneurial bug first get you? So growing up, my father had a gas station. And I quickly realized growing up that I wanted to, every day we'd come home and we would hear how much gas was sold and, and the numbers of the business. And I was fascinated by it. Hmm. And, you know, I started working. It was a ritual in our family. I was one of four boys. We started working when we were 10. And uh, by the time I was 12, I was doing the daily accounting. By the time I was 14, I was hiring and firing. And I had it in my blood. I did not want to. I actually dropped out of college after three years to go into the gas station business. That's what I wanted to do. Wow. So you did that for a while. You might say he's he's the Bill Gates of the Bollard business. (laughs) There there you go. Hey, it's good to be known as the Bill Gates of anything. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> and, so, and to be clear, our primary product, so we do sell the bollards, but our primary product is that we make plastic sleeves that go over the bollards mm-hmm. and we use the brand name post guard, it guards the post. And the reason people would buy those is that, as I mentioned, the bollards are steel pipe. And as soon as that, that paint gets scraped off, it starts to rust. And then the businesses have to paint them over and over and over and over. So for the cost of painting them twice, they can put our cover on there and it'll protect it for, you know, up to 10 years. All right. And now you're touching on something that I find really, really interesting and really poignant for our Startup Nation audience. We're going to run to a break. When we come back, I want to understand where the idea of a bollard cover, which is what you're talking about now, where that idea came from. I find that fascinating. You know, people are looking for opportunities and business ideas everywhere. Someone thought that it would be smart to create a cover uh, for these bollards for the reasons you mentioned, and then positioned it as a business product and a business opportunity that with just two paintings otherwise conducted by, I'm sure, the municipality or whatever it may be, it pays for itself. And that made it something that was a, a real business. I want to hear about the roots and the origins of all that, the genesis of that, when we come back. And I know our audience does too, right after this break. We've got Norm Pappas, and we've got Bruce Leibowitz telling his story on Startup Nation Radio. Stick with us. All right, welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. Norm Pappas co-hosting today. We've got Bruce Leibowitz telling his story Bruce is a serial entrepreneur. He's had great success and on to another project. He could be retired, but instead he's doing it again. He's in the Bollard business, the Bollard cover business in particular. And before we went to the break, I wanted to understand, Bruce, it's one thing if, you know, in our daily interactions, consumers, okay, I'm going to be in the hamburger business or I'm going to be in the mortgage business or the pizza business, you know, things we interact with daily. Somebody came up with the idea to create a Bollard cover and built a highly successful business around it. What was the genesis of the idea? And, And then tell us, you know, from your perspective, how and why that happened. So Jeff, I had been in a prior business. I had been in the pharmacy benefit management card business, a company called Claims Pro. It's an interesting story. I bought it from Caterpillar in 1990. We had 50,000 lives. I built it up to a million five hundred thousand lives with my partner, Ron Klein, and we sold it in 2000. 
And in 2002, I'm sitting in an office doing nothing. I had an office. I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I got a call from Stuart Bernstein, who called me up and said, I need money to make a mold to make bollard covers. And I said to him the logical question, which you asked as well. And I said, what's a bollard? Right. And the long and short of it is that Stuart had been calling around on some molding shops and he had seen a product that was a tube that he thought would be perfect for covering those so people didn't have to paint them. And he came to us with the idea. He had the he had the idea. He had it keyed up and ready to go. He just needed some business advice and some capital. And we started that business. The three of us, Ron Klein, uh, Stuart, myself, and we really. <laughs> Going from the healthcare business to the manufacturing business, I had a lot to learn, and we made every mistake you could make. But we turned the corner, we found the niche for the product, we came out with the great name of PostGuard, we started our roots in distribution and selling direct to customers, and PostGuard is the father of the idea of putting the two red stripes mm. around the bollard covers. And that's been copied by competitors now. We've sold over 3 million of these Ballard covers now, and they are everywhere you go in North America. And over 30 countries, right? I mean, you're around, not only just North America, but yes. internationally as yes. well. Yeah, the vast majority of the sales have been in, in North America. Yeah. But yeah, no, so it's in other countries, because of the reason you use these is, is to avoid the cost of painting. If you're in countries where labor is very cheap, yeah. Yeah. They have, it's easier yeah. for them not to justify not covering them. Well, it's a fascinating story, and it underscores again for people listening. You know, you never know where a great idea comes from, when it's going to come. You need to keep a sense of awareness about you, and and, and a sense of openness. You know, uh, so that when you hear an idea like a Bollard cover, you know, you can seize the day. Carpe diem, right? By the way, your point, Jeff, is entrepreneurs need to be lifelong learners. And Bruce learned a lot, had to in a quick order to make this business successful. And along the way, after selling a business, he's become a very good investor. So I don't care what business you're in, you better be ready to pivot and keep learning. And Norm, if there's something I can add to that, it's just that every business I've been involved in, whether it was the gas station, whether it was the pharmacy benefit management business, or whether it's postcard, there's common elements that go from every business. And one of my issues has always been is I've always told everybody, if you take care of my customers, we have good vendors and good partnerships with the vendors. I take very good care of my employees. And then I just tell my employees, if you take care of my customers, I'll figure out how to make money. Hey, Jeff, the lesson learned from Professor Bruce is the customer employee connection are the two critical success patterns for all businesses. I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road. You've got to have happy employees who are on board, who are aligned with the company mission and feeling good in order to be effective in the marketplace, selling and everything else that goes with it, and certainly happy customers. So that's great advice. And that's been a mantra, you know, Bruce, you were saying that there's a lot of commonality in whether you're in the Bollard business or you're in the gas station business or whatever business you happen to be in. There's a lot of commonality that an entrepreneur, that a successful entrepreneur brings as discipline and perspective and modus operandi as they execute an entrepreneurial idea. The the industry may be different, but there's a lot of commonality, right, Bruce? Absolutely. When my dad turned 80, we had a party for him and I had just sold Claims Pro and it had been a very successful exit. And I did a little talk and I said, everything I know about business, I learned in the gas station. And it's true. Our competition was right across the street and sometimes they were a penny cheaper than us. So price can't be the way you make a successful business. You've got to create something more. 
You've either got to build a relationship or you've got to have a better service. You always have to be improving it so that you're not dependent on price as the way you make a living. Yeah. And this is the blocking and tackling. Now, at one point, you were motivated. First, obviously, you loved it. You loved being an entrepreneur. You loved being in the gas station business. Were you ambitious? Would you say that was something that was a, a hallmark of your personality? I mean, I couldn't wait to go to work for my dad. I, you know, 10 years old, I was counting down the days so I turned 10 so I could start working for him. And I worked all the way through high school. And I, you know, I was going to school and I was working as much as 20 hours a week in high school. What drove you back then? And then I want to talk about now. It's the success. It's not the money. It's that, not yeah. the... Yep. I wanted to get more business. I wanted to have more customers. Mm -hmm. I wanted to serve more people. It's what drives me. You wanted to realize success. You wanted to achieve. And, it, you know, I understand that so well. Most people would think that entrepreneurs are driven by, you know, the pursuit of a fortune. And, of course, that, you know, that's a wonderful byproduct of success and it's all good. But it really fundamentally for many, if not most entrepreneurs, it is this, you know, it's more fundamental than that. It's the sense of identity. It's part of who I am. It's part of the statement I want to make about myself to myself. You know, I want to prove it to myself. I got to be successful. And uh, I get that. I understand that. Yeah, for me, Jeff, I, I drive around the country. Any city I fly to, I'm driving down the road and I see my product and millions of them out there. But I still, I mean, I drive my family crazy, but I still got to look at them and, and admire them. And, and just, it, wow. it's, it's just a great feeling to yeah. just, anywhere I go, I'll see my product. And so now... By any measure, you've proven that you're successful, certainly to, to people around you. I don't know about, you know, if we ever feel satisfied as entrepreneurs, but what's driving you today? It's having a sense of purpose every day when I wake up. I, I mean, people close to me have retired and, you know, I tease them, you know, who's on Oprah today. I need a reason to get up and be fulfilled. And I love to travel. I love my time off, but I look forward to coming back to work. Yeah. It's just part of what I am. My mother used to say a person needs a reason to get up in the morning, and, mm -hmm. and boy, do I believe that. And Bruce, is a, he's a person of action, and you also see he's got a good bedside manner, so he can handle customers well, good times and bad times. Yes. And Bruce, I have to ask, you know, given your appetite for entrepreneurial endeavor and the varied businesses you've been in, do you catch yourself saying, hmm, I think there's an opportunity there, or there's an opportunity there, or there's, do you, you know, do you see opportunity around the corner here and there from time to time that gets you blood flowing? I see it around most corners and always. It was a leading question. Of course, that's who you are. That's right. You're, yes. And so yes. you have to have no. a discipline too, I'm sure, about reining it in. You can't do everything, right? You can't spread yourself too thin. Well, I'm 64 now, right? So it, it's, it's, I mean, I don't have another huge startup in me. But I love to be part of it. I love to talk to entrepreneurs. I'm invested in numerous other businesses. And I love the action. For me, it's, you know, it's, I love to gamble. I'm a gambler, which a lot of entrepreneurs are. And business success is like gambling success. It just gets your blood flowing. Of course, it's a different kind of gambling. You have confidence. You can succeed. Just like when a great quarterback fades back and wants to go for it all, they, they, they feel like they can do it. You know, they know they can. It's a gamble but they feel like they're going to get it done. And that's part of, I mean, that's the same hallmark of you and your success. If you were to be able to offer up, you know, so we've got some people out there that want to start a business. What pieces of advice, whether it be how to think about business or how to think about what opportunities to look for, or even if you had a couple of, you know, if you wanted to give us some tips on areas to look to these days that you think are hot, we'd love to hear from you if we can put you on the spot for a minute. 
I think you want to try to find a business that isn't limited. You know, if you have a restaurant with 40 seats, you're going to be able to sell 40 or 80 meals. But if you have a business where you provide a service that can be sold all over the country, the scale of the business mm -hmm. is tremendous. So, mm -hmm. so when you get into the business, you really want to look at the upside. And if you're successful, can it make a difference in your life or are you really creating a job for yourself? And then when you start that business, as I mentioned about the gas station, there's other competition in, in almost anything you do. You have to figure out how to be successful, how to be more valuable to your customer, how to provide a better service. You have to have something different. There's just no point in opening another Me Too business. Good advice. Norm, winners are winners. That's for sure. Yep. Everybody needs a little dose of good luck here and there and good timing and all the rest that comes with success. But boy, we find it over and over and over again. Winners are winners. They earn it and they deserve their success. So Bruce, thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for being on. We really appreciate it. And we'll look forward to hearing about your next success. That's for sure. We know there's a lot more in your future. Jeff and Norm, thank you both for the opportunity to come talk to you today. And I really enjoyed being with you. Yeah, great job, Bruce. Good. And Norm, you and I will be back with another guest, another entrepreneur telling her story right after this break. All right, welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. We just heard from Bruce Leibowitz and his success. Norm, you're on a roll with these great entrepreneurs you're bringing onto the show. Again, kind of underscoring the breadth of opportunity out there to be an entrepreneur. I mean, here, Bruce is in the Bollard cover business now and doing it successfully and, and a variety of other things. He's an amazing entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, and it was great to hear his story, Norm. Thanks for bringing him on. And I know we're going to roll right from Bruce's story into another great story, Norm. Tee it up for us. So Marcy had interesting background in the advertising business before she became an entrepreneur. She has a great business. I know her mother and father well. They'll be listening. Uh, Marcy, my mother listens. Jeff's mother's going to listen. So no, you shouldn't be nervous. We better do a good job, guys. Tough audience out there. Tough audience. There was enough pressure originally. Right. Now that's just even more added pressure. You got it. Marcy, welcome to Startup Nation Radio. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor. Good to have you on. So you are the lead executive, the CEO of Bradley and Company. First, tell us about Bradley and Company and what you guys do. Yeah, so I am CEO and newly 100% owner. So we're certified minority owned. I was partners with my father, who had been in the promotional and branding industry for over 40 years, starting in 1983. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up in it. Then about six years ago, I took over majority ownership and this past November became full owner. But a little bit about us is we're in branding and promotions, so branded merchandise. And we kind of take that industry and we take it further than what most people know as just shirts, pens, fulfillment. And we really take it to the step where we're the concierge. And what we do is we help customers and clients and brands really tell their story and the story they're trying to tell and do it in a way that creates engagement. Mm -hmm. And that can be in many forms from a product to an experience. And we just tie the whole thing together. So where most people think of our industry as a trinket type of industry, we our big mission and especially my mission and the values of Bradley is to take it a step further and make sure that what we do and what we bring to our clients is adding a return and making sure that we're driving engagement in the end. An engagement. Give me an example. An engagement. You know, when you think of 
it can be anything from a thank you gift, Mm -hmm. but a gift can just be a gift or it can be something that leads to further connections, communications, Mm -hmm. how you see a relationship. And that's both inside an organization and outside. So it can be for clients, but what about employees? Even talking about in today's world where not everyone is in the office setting, how do you keep that engagement? with your employees? How do you keep that vision of your company alive? Those types of things, it's engagement through and through of that connection, making sure the message and what that company is trying to achieve is really moving into action. So you had this vision to take the company further than where it was, and you're doing it by taking a broader view over the kind of the purpose and essence of the products you sell and what you're in business to achieve. What's your background? You know, how did you, where did you come from and where did they, you know, where did the ability, you're the CEO, you're the owner now of this business, what equipped you to be able to be in the position you're in? Well, I have to say that I was kind of raised to be what I am today with my dad being in the business, being a mentor. So our family was split up. I have my mom and my brother and the name Bradley and Company actually comes from my brother Bradley because he was born first. And when my dad set up the initial Bradley Company, he got naming rights. But I was kind of groomed for it where our family is split with the medical field and then my dad and I are the marketing field. So we just gravitated to it. So as I grew up helping my dad through and through from the time I was young, I may have not actually helped. You know, I may have made more of a mess, but I was still in the office being groomed for it. And then as I went through schooling and internships, I was pulled into the advertising, the digital marketing space and interactive promotions, which gave me that broader sense of what can be done to, again, drive that word of engagement. And then coming on board with my dad and becoming partners, I really saw the big holistic picture where a lot of people don't look at a campaign and see what are we really trying to achieve and how are we going to do it, Mm -hmm. especially in our industry. They look at the product and that one element where I like to take all my background, all my experience of other amazing companies that I've worked for and clients I've done work for and really bring it to our current clients and say, Let's think about this bigger than just what we're giving or what you're buying. And how long have you been the company leader and owner? So I uh, purchased uh, the majority ownership in 2014 and became CEO then. So it's been about six and a half years. And then it'll be coming up on my one year anniversary of the 100% owner. And so you have this fresh perspective that you're bringing to the company as its leader and owner now, and you've told us about it, to create this deeper engagement. And it's, it's bigger mm-hmm. and broader. You know, selling your product goes beyond just the product itself. How has that worked? How has it played out for the company? Are you seeing the results you're looking for? I have. And I think, you know, the hardest part about coming in, obviously being a second generation, mm-hmm. is you have to being partners, whether it's a second generation or just having a partner, is looking at what a company was and has been, keeping that core and adding the additional um, innovation to it. So I have seen some great progress. Um, What my dad had started is just, uh, he did an amazing job. So it's, it's just adding on to it. But what I've seen is It's one, changing perspectives of clients, um, because sometimes they think of what we do as just 
what people put the stereotype is of our industry. So it's opening up the doors and minds of those and how it can go further. Mm -hmm. Is there, I would imagine, you know, and I hear you talk about, you know, your dad and you're complimenting him, you know, he did a great job and everything. And obviously he did, he put, put, you know, built a successful company and here Mm -hmm. you are taking over the leadership role and bringing in new and fresh ideas and everything else. There's just, there's a bit of a, you know, a tension between, and I can hear it in your description between, you know, recognizing the great job your dad did doing it the way he did it. And now with kind of the fresh ideas you're bringing to the table, to, you're, you're making sure you're qualifying and certainly building on the great success and the vision your, your dad had. There's some sensitivity there, but I would imagine there's also a lot of pressure that goes with carrying on the family business too. I mean, uh, there's history there, there's legacy there, you know, uh, it's, it's some pressure there, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I Also, the biggest pressure was coming in as the daughter right. being a younger woman and a woman at that. Right. So it's proving even to, even though I've been around the company and everyone knew me, it's different when you come in and you go to a higher position, exec, especially taking on ownership. So it's one, getting over that and really taking the team, earning the team's respect, um, and then gradually moving in innovative ways forward. But um, yeah, there is an immense amount of pressure. And I think anybody who is in a family business can feel that because you want to live up to the expectations, but even more so you need to live up to what your expectations are of yourself. Sure. Absolutely. What Marcy's saying too, 70% of all businesses fail to get to the second generation because they don't have that succession plan. So Marcy and her dad were able to work through that, number one. Number two, something Marcy's saying about most businesses struggle to not be commodity businesses. And so her message is giving more than just the product, having that vision for her clients, which they've been very good at. Well, I love that positioning. It makes a lot of sense to, again, as you mm-hmm. say, move away from a, you know, Marcy, you've made reference to it, that it's not, not just, just seen as just the product or just the trinket, whatever it may be, you know, but of a more holistic approach to what the campaign of which the product or trinket is a part of can do for you toward realizing your goals, right? As a business owner. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we're going to run to a break. I want to come back. You touched on something that I wanted to ask you in this interview as we prepared for it. And that is this idea that you just touched on. You know, you came into the leadership role as part of the family, but you had to earn everyone's trust and confidence, the employee base, uh, most of all the team. Mm-hmm. And I want to hear about, you know, how that was achieved and a little bit about your leadership style, because it's always interesting. It's a tough thing, because on the one hand, you may be the most qualified person in the world. But in the beginning, as you made reference to, you're seen as, you know, the, the daughter of the founder. Right. And you're you know, of course, she's going to be the right. leader. She uh, right. It's just the path that you were given. But in fact, clearly you're earning it and taking it to the next level. We're going to run to a quick break. We're going to come back with more with Marcy right after this break. We'll hear that story and more. Stick with us. All right, welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. A really, really interesting interview. Marcy, we were talking right before we went to the break. I wanted to make sure we covered this really challenging aspect of taking the leadership role, taking the ownership role of the company, but not as an entitlement, but as, you know, in the fact that you earned it, that you were the right person for the job. That, that's a tough thing for a family member to assume that role. And especially you're, you're a woman, you're young, you know, these are all adding to the challenges of getting your team's buy-in and everything that goes with it in order to lead this company effectively. 
How would you describe your style and maybe some of the challenges that went with the early going of being the company leader? So I'll start with the little bit of the challenges that came with it. You know, like I said, you have to earn the respect of those who are part of the company as it has been and making sure they don't feel you are coming in and just changing everything about it and putting your mark where a lot of people feel they have to put their ego first. I did it in a reverse pattern where I really wanted to hear what everyone thought of the current company, how they felt, where they felt Mm. the future was going. I will say, I don't think I did it 100% correct. I do believe I did it correctly in hearing everyone who was part of Bradley, but I also didn't push my thoughts of the changes that needed to be because I felt so strongly I needed to earn that respect. And what it ended up doing is I soft-stepped for a little too long. Let me just make sure I've got this. What you're saying is, and it's the right balance because both are right. I think on the one mm-hmm. hand, you're saying, you're saying I wanted the team to offer input and guidance and their thoughts on where we ought to take the company because you wanted everyone to have a hand right. in crafting the future of the company. But at the same time, you're the leader. They're looking for your vision. You know, they're looking for your leadership too. And you're saying maybe you were a little soft on that part of it. Is that right? Did I capture that? That is right. I spent too much time and too much energy not coming in and controlling and doing what I felt needed to be changed. And that left a lot of people not seeing me as that higher rising, ready to make changes because I just didn't make that balance. And it's a hard balance to make for it anyone is. coming into a new sure. organization. Sure. You know, people didn't want to see me as the queen and I am telling everyone how to do their job, but I needed to do more of that because it took down what I felt I was able to do and, and took my management style that I had hmm. from previous jobs at other companies and I wasn't pushing it forward here all those strengths that I had Mm -hmm. until more recently. So life is for lessons, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, you're never too old for a life's lesson. So it's good you're learning good things. And I see Marcy as a lifelong learner. We've had many members from Vistage on the air. Marcy's also a member, encouraging learning more. So another good lesson for being in business, no matter how old you are. A hundred percent. And I'm still young. I'm in my early thirties. No matter how old or young you are, if you're an entrepreneur and you stop learning, you're stopping the advancement of your company, of yourself, of the employees. You need to constantly grow, not only just to know what else is out there, but to expand what your company can do and bring. And I think that's such a, an important area of entrepreneurship to highlight. You know, things are so fast moving in entrepreneurship just when you think you've got it all down. I mean, the blocking and tackling, may the fundamentals remain the same, but everything's so fast moving to the way you reach your audience today. You know, the communication channels. I mean, we could go on and on, you know, and here, and here we are in a unique period with the pandemic crisis that just has amped everything up. And again, just really made us aware of the critical ability to adapt readily. Now, I know Norm, he's only slightly older than you, and Norm's still learning every day. I travel on an airplane with Norm occasionally. We go to a meeting or this, that, and Norm is constantly reading. And it's interesting to me, here's a guy who's had great success in his life, Norm, and you you know the importance of learning all the time. And I know you advocate for that for your entire team, but I know me too. You never really get there, do you, Norm? No, and it's not a matter of learning something new. It's sometimes crafting what you're doing and having a different way to say it, learning something that's applicable for the clients, for the customers, which is what you're trying to do is be the best you can be. 
Sure. Or even just to, Norm, even just to validate that what you're doing or your approach mm-hmm. and looking for that validation as a leader, right, Marcy? I mean, a lot of times, especially you being young, oh, absolutely. I would imagine hearing from the others at Vistage, sometimes you're hearing something and you say to yourself, huh, I've got that right. And that's good, right? And sometimes you think it's not the right way, but you're just going with it. And you hear that validation. You're like, that's that little pat on the back, which as entrepreneurs, we don't always do because we're always trying to grow, be better. It's, um, I think that's just what drives us as entrepreneurs is we're never, we've never hit that final goal. Once we get close to it, there's a new goal set and that only comes with growing and learning. It's so unfair. We never quite get there, do we? I mean, just we when you think you've got it, right? Line. It's, it's, it's amazing, but it's so true. So true. I think that's part of what makes entrepreneurs so unique and, and so uniquely qualified to be entrepreneurs, to be the people that are pioneering every day and flying by the seat of their pants and going with instinct and intuition, you know? I mean, that's all part of it. And you've got to be a special person to be able to do that. And we do. And I was joking when I said we never, it's so unfair. We never quite get there. But it's part of what makes us, if you will, and each in our own ways, great, too. And it's an internal thing. It's nothing that we can control. So as people say, you've done such a great job. It's like, yeah, but it's not good enough. Isn't you know, that, and that's, oh, yes. You just need, it's always, and people are like, you're a workaholic. It's like, no, it's not that. It's just, I'm always, we're always striving to be better, to make our company better. And really, like you said, with COVID, Things change, but it's striving to look at our company. And that's kind of what COVID has done across the board, no matter what industry is, really evaluating your your company and your organization and your industry and saying, what's right here? What's mm. not right? right? What do we need to do to tweak? And obviously, it's it's my first year as a 100% owner. So I used to have my, my counterpart. Now it's on me. And COVID hits and you just start kind of going a little mind crazy, but it's, but you have to look at it all as a positive opportunity Mm -hmm. that this is a start to really make sure you get closer to that ultimate vision, which we know we don't always get to because we keep moving it, Right. but it it, it refocuses you and you keep the plan going. Yeah. So what, you know, uh, our, previous guest, Bruce, talked about, you know, that it's kind of his life's purpose about, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. that's what drives him. What drives you? You know what? It's really, (laughs) what drives me is not about me. It, what drives me is about other people, how I can impact other people's lives. When I look at the company, I don't say, this is my company. This is a company filled of my employees and their lives that I want them to continually grow and achieve greatness. I look at our customers that I want to see them have successes. To me, it's not an order or a job that comes in. It's we're helping achieve something for them. And what drives me is the ultimate thought that I want to get my company to a place where we are giving as much as even so much more than we're receiving, meaning constantly giving to the community, give back, doing something to impact others. And that's, that's where my passion and my heart goes to of where the future is and what wakes me up in the morning and takes me away from my small kids and say, okay, guys, I want to be a role model for you. And I also want to help the community and build it. So you're proud of the future of where we are and where we're going to be. 
You know, Norm, it doesn't surprise me that you bring on people that have the kind of character that Marcy and a lot of the others, it's been a common thread, you know, given who you are and the relationships you have in your life, the people that you interface with and, and you keep close to you. And I'm really thrilled that we're able to share these great stories with our audience and that these common themes of putting the customer first, putting your employees first, communicating effectively, having a clear vision, you know, all the things that go with leading a great entrepreneurial startup that are just keep emerging through these conversations we've been having, Norm. It's, uh, it's yeah, Marcy also points out as business owners, we're problem solvers. We're trying to help our clients and this give back concept to the sure. community and to the sure. clients. That's a very strong message. And, and Marcy's good at it. Clearly, Marcy, we're, we're out of time, but we're going to follow your success. We congratulate you on your success to date, and, and we would love to follow your story and have you on again. Thank you for joining us on Appreciate Startup Nation it. today. Appreciate it so much. Appreciate the opportunity. Love speaking with you and would love to continue to come and uh, update you on it and new things that I'm learning that I can help other people learn. We'll be following you. I know Norm will keep his eye on you for sure. And Norm, can't thank you enough for uh, another great couple of interviews today. Great guests. Thank you, Norm, and your wisdom that you always bring to the show. Appreciate it. We'll be back again next week with more on Startup Nation Radio. The preceding program was furnished by Startup Nation Media Group. 